0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions,
1: and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. Break it down.
2: Oh, you didn't know. Stand back. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 90, yes, 90, and today we will look at some SummerSlam theme songs. And joining me again here on the show is a man that I'm dubbing the Lifesaver for coming on a pretty short notice. It's Sean Flynn. Hello,
1: Sean. Hey, Andrew. How could I miss the party of the summer?
0: Yeah, yeah. Today's the day. Yeah, we're well, recording this uh, the day of SummerSlam 2020, and uh, and, and what a card. We have in store for us today here, Sean. I mean, we got Braun Strowman versus The Fiend. We got Seth Rollins versus Dominic Mysterio. Apollo Crews versus MVP. I mean, it's just a, a real barn burner of a lineup, Sean.
1: That, you're, you're, you're just playing Mad Libs now and just putting <laughs> random names together. There, there's no way that's a SummerSlam card. It is. I mean, look at the Wikipedia page. Look at the website. I mean, you know, this is what we
0: got. It's 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 2020, after all.
1: <laughs> wow. Man, I thought I was aging poorly. <laughs>
0: Well, um, the last time you we were on the show here, uh, Sean, uh, was back in March for the Ruthless Aggression Divas episode. And um, that was back towards the beginning of this uh, pandemic. And uh, things were shutting down. And there was a lot of um, you know uncertainty and fear going around. And uh, now it's August. And, um, well, there's still a lot of uncertainty and fear going around, I'd say. And <laughs> in more ways than one. But, um, but how have you held up during this pandemic, Sean?
1: I've essentially become a hermit. I have Barely left the house, and I'm pretty certain that if and when society ever does get back to normal, I will have no idea how on earth to adjust to it. How have you been?
0: It's been going. It's been going. Um, I mean, to be honest, not much has changed because I'm more of a homebody anyway. But you know, it's still strange not doing things that I used to do on a normal basis, like just you know going to the movies or eating in a restaurant. Which I know you're a big foodie guy, likes to do that. So I'm sure this is you know very weird for you.
1: Yeah, this has not been... My, my, my two things that I like to leave the house for are going out to eat and going to wrestling shows. So I've pretty much had everything I enjoy just yoinked right out.
0: <laughs> it's been tough. It's been tough, for sure. But, um... but I'm not dead, so... Well, that's true, yeah. 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 All
1: right. <laughs> that is a,
0: a bright spot, I guess. Um, every cloud, as they say, every <laughs> cloud. But, uh... <laughs> but, um... but anyway, uh, yes, today's episode... We're looking at some songs used as themes for SummerSlam, one of the original big four WWE pay-per-views, started in 1988, and it's still around to this very day. Um, And it's funny, you know, as I was doing the planning for this episode, I realized that I, I really don't remember a ton of SummerSlam themes. Like, the ones from my youth, obviously I know those, and some others as well, but I look at the list, and just like the 2010s, a lot of those themes are a blur to me. Which I guess is why I didn't pick most of them for the episode here. Um and anyway I, you know, I think thinking about it it seems to me that, you know, WrestleMania is like the only pay per view where I feel like most fans can remember the most themes. Um those are like the ones that really stick around. Whereas every other pay per view really the themes tend to get lost in the ether. Um do you feel that way at all, Sean?
1: I think so, especially and I mean it's something that we'll see as we go through this. The themes for SummerSlam have tended have very often been either background music or kind of forgettable with a couple of exceptions that we're going to come to. But it's funny. Cause yeah, for me, I remember the first theme because I remember my fat, my folks having to drive to the cable company office to get the big thing you hook on the back of the cable box and that you rented so you could get the pay-per-view for SummerSlam 1988. And back then it was, such a hassle to get a pay-per-view that it's amazing when you see the numbers on some of those because yeah i mean it was an hour-long process we had to leave a 200 hundred dollar deposit i want to say it was with the cable company in order to guarantee we would bring back the magic doohickey dongle that allowed <laughs> us to pay money to get this show but much like all things nostalgic it was older it was bright and happy back then so
0: Mm-hmm. That's way before my time, that's for sure. Um, and I suppose, you know, looking at the themes, it's maybe a byproduct of just having so many pay-per-views a year, that even though SummerSlam is supposed to be one of the biggest shows of the year, the themes just get sort of lost in the shuffle, as opposed to Mania, which is, you know, the biggest show of the year, and maybe can give its themes, you know, more of a lasting power, or whatever. But um, but anyway, uh, before we get to uh, the themes here, as you brought up uh, just now, Sean, your first SummerSlam was 88, correct?
1: It was. A a young 10-year-old me was enthralled by the sight of Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> uh, um,
0: my first one was 04, and uh, you brought up the whole process of driving and renting the doohickey just to order the pay-per-view. Um, in 04, it was as simple as you know pressing a button on your remote to order the show. And the thing about that show is I couldn't watch it live at the beginning of it because that same day I had a bar mitzvah reception and it wasn't like your typical reception where it's held at like a hotel or a a temple or whatever, but it was like at this outdoor sports camping resort sort of place. And I, I really didn't want to be there at all because a, I'm not that athletic and B it's SummerSlam. I want to watch it. You know, it's, it's, it's my wrestling show. So, um, so yeah, um, luckily my dad taped it for me on the VCR, which, uh, I think was illegal, so shh, don't tell anyone about that. But uh, <laughs> I watched it when I got home. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have just let it go because it wasn't that great a show. But, uh, yeah, that was my first SummerSlam 2004. So there you
1: go. That's that's not a bad show to begin with. I mean, it, it, it's it got a decent main event. It's historic.
0: Well, when you're a kid, you know, you don't want the heels to win. And that was you know very much a heel-winning heavy show. So it was a bit of a bummer. Um, plus, you know, Eugene and Diva Dodgeball and, and J.B. Ellis Champion. It, it wasn't uh, the best SummerSlam, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, I guess compared to some more recent outings, it's a show of the year contender in uh, in comparison, I guess. <laughs> the,
1: the the shock is that after two SummerSlam 04, you made it to SummerSlam 05.
0: <laughs> well, let's get to these themes here. Uh, we have eight to talk about, and we'll start off at the beginning with the first SummerSlam theme. Uh, this was used for the inaugural event in 88, as well as the next year, 89. This is by Jim Johnston, and uh, it's simply called the SummerSlam 88 theme. So nowadays we're used to the popular uh, you know pop song theme for the big pay-per-views this is not that Uh, this is still the early days of pay-per-view where you know they used primarily in-house production tracks and you want to talk about a sound that fits the era like this is it you know this is a proper late 80s wwf sound where it's basically you know music you would hear in sports packages you know with the synth horns plinky keyboards the drum machine uh the guitar giving it just a little bit of edge but not too much because it's a family show it's so of the time and and yes it does sound dated nowadays of course but it does line up with other music that they were using for shows and pay-per-views during this era sean
1: it's music for a time when everything was sunny and happy we were in the reagan era of america and we were going to beat communism and every movie had a good montage sequence that was set to music that sounded almost exactly like this. The good old days. It's funny because this sticks with me and I'm sure part of it is my age, but to me, this is a WWF piece of music, even though for all I know, I mean, it was composed by WWF and in-house, but it could have just these been lifted from some stock production library but this sounds like WWF. When I heard this, went through it, I was instantly boom, taken right back. Because that's that's what it really it like you said, it captured 1988. It was big and bombastic. And Hulk Hogan had arms the size of your head.
0: It does remind me of something like the Grand Spectacle, which was the theme for Mania's six through eight, I believe. Um, and that, again, it feels like music for a sports event, uh, a sports spectacle, if you will, um, especially with those triumphant horns. And oh, yeah. I suppose if you want to ask how it fits into an event called SummerSlam, I think it does conjure up images of something related to summer. Um, maybe not like beaches or bikinis like that, but still, you know, something nice and upbeat and, and bright like summer is um, like the Summer Olympics, perhaps. Yeah. That kind of grandiose music. Um, obviously, that sounds a lot you know cheaper than your typical Olympic music, but um, that's the vibe I get here. Um, and in 88, there was a Summer Games in Seoul. So I don't think it was intentional, but you can definitely make a connection between the music and that sort of vibe it gives off, Sean. Oh,
1: absolutely. Uh, my, my, my first thought was the 4th of July. It, it sounded like something that I could see scoring fireworks in the background or... I, it's it, funny you said cheap. I actually said it sounds like something you see in like a mid-level martial arts movie as the here, like, like a Jean-Claude Van Damme sort of movie. As he lands his final kick to Tong Poe to knock him out, that's when that, those last horns would go blaring. And, yeah, it's the times. I mean, look back at SummerSlam 88, Hogan and Randy Savage versus the Megabucks, Andre and Ted DiBiase that's that's as pure it's really kind of the last gasp of pure 1980s wwf hulk hogan vanquishing the evil villains and it's fitting this runs 88 to 89 89 was the same sort of thing beefcake and hogan versus randy savage and zeus it was the last this music is hulkamania this music is 80s wwf and it ran through the end of that era.
0: Quite literally, yes, uh because it was used as well as the theme for the Royal Rumble from 91 to 93, uh which of course 93 end of Hulkamania in the company. Um so uh, again, it's highlighting the early days of pay-per-view where songs are just, you know, repurposed for different shows. So you could turn on SummerSlam 88 and hear this music, then turn on, you know, Royal Rumble 92 or whatever and hear it again. Which, you know, seems wild today, because for the most part nowadays, they use a different song every show. But, um, you know, they've done that with other songs recently, too. Like, um, I know the Money in the Bank pay-per-view theme was the same for years. Um, and I believe Good Feeling by Flo Rada was the theme for Survivor Series 2011. And then again, it was used for Mini 28 a few months later. But um, typically, they do feature a new song every show.
1: Yeah, the idea of a song being used over five years is something you could never imagine. But yeah, with the with the reusing it of Royal Rumble, that was actually the first memory that came to my head when I listened to this was even more than SummerSlam was I thought it's Royal Rumble 92's music, which is still my favorite wrestling event of all time. So <laughs> when I hear that music, it... I think SummerSlam because of this, but originally my first thought is I just see Ric Flair getting ready. <laughs> so, so good memories all around. This, 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 piece of music got some, got to be part of some, some really good, some really good moments for the company. When you think about it. Next
0: up, we're gonna go to the theme song for SummerSlam 1990, and like the previous theme, uh, this was used quite a bit. Not just for 90, but also 91, 92, 93, and 94. So a lot of mileage out of this bad boy. Uh, This is by Robert J. Howard. Again, no fancy title here. It's just the SummerSlam 90 theme. Production instrumental here. Uh, this time not by Jim Johnston, but by Robert J. Howard. Uh, who, funny enough, I brought up the Grand Spectacle earlier. That's his song. So there you go. Um, this one, in a similar vein as the '88 theme, again just your you know, generic sports music or whatever. But it's not as upbeat or shiny as the '88 theme is. Uh, the tempo is a little slower. The guitar refrain is, you know, pretty meaty. Down, bow, bow, bow there's like a haunting synth melody in the background. The percussion gets all metallic and clangy at points. It's a smidge grittier of a song than before. And it does kind of give a little hint that the company is going into, you know, a slightly different territory in the 90s, Sean.
1: The clouds of war were beginning to form over Iraq and Kuwait. <laughs> SummerSlam 90 emanated from the Philadelphia spectrum, the first time that Hulk Hogan was not in the main event of SummerSlam. It was a darker era with a like with a slow pace and a more angry percussion and a dun-dun-dun-dun. WWF was losing the shine. Things were starting to get darker. Things were starting to... Hulk Hogan's role in this card was having been squashed by Earthquake and coming back and I don't recall if this was before or after Earthquake killed Jake Roberts' snake, but the kids were growing up and the music got a little more intense and a little less shiny and happy because bad guys were starting to take over things. And the music reflected that. And it's the tur- this is the turn. This is really when WWF begins to turn away from the 80s Hulkamania. We've just seen I mean, we've got Hogan losing finally to Warrior and the the move away from Hulkamania, the move away from that 80s formula. Everything's about to get a little harder for WWF. Everything's about to get a little darker for the country. We're about to go into a recession after years of economic growth. We're about to see steroid trials coming up in the next year or two. Everything's changing. And the music is trying to hold on. It's portraying strength and resolution and power, but it's lost lost that bounce. It's lost that summery bounce to it that the 80s music had. We're not partying anymore.
0: I will say, though, you know, we talk about the maybe grittier atmosphere or whatever. I think compared to music at the time, especially as we get, you know, further into the 90s, it still sounds pretty dated and pretty tame as well. Like, mainstream music is, you know, turning into Nirvana. It's turning into Alice in to Metallica, Soundgarden, NWA, Public Enemy. But here with this song, it's still pretty much in the same, you know, general music sphere as before. And and that's the thing, you know, we've said it before on this show countless times, but WWE and I guess mainstream wrestling in general for so long has had this systemic issue where they're like five years behind current music trends. And that's not necessarily a blanket statement, of course. There have been times where WWE has tapped into a music scene at the right moment, um, which we'll get to in a few songs from now, but a lot of times, you know, WWE especially, they were behind in terms of what the masses were listening to, and as a consequence, that's why something like ECW became the coolest place in the world, because they were featuring music that was really cool and trendy. So yeah, this does have more of an edge to it, quote-unquote, but... Hulk Hogan will still be champion a few more times. You know, they're still going to be very cartoony and very family friendly as a product. It's not like this is the Attitude Era, or everything is super dark or whatever. Um, there are some changes, yes, but it's not this immediate, drastic downturn either. Sean,
1: it's it's interesting you say that. I was kind of along those lines—the idea that there's just this beginning of something, but it's not yet taking form. I was looking at the the billboard charts for summer when SummerSlam 90 occurred and the top 10 is there's a song number one is by a group i I don't even know this song if wishes came true by sweet sensation i don't know what that is but you've got things like unskinny bop by poison and release me by wilson phillips and new kids on the block is in the top 10 but lurking just below the top 10 something the first kind of sense that something weird is happening the song epic by faith no more was at was at number 11 right after the week right after summer slam 90 and that was such a jarring change the, the song even the video with the the fish gasping that everyone of my age still remembers and might have nightmares about it's it's that first sense that okay, something's about. There's a turn happening here. The 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 there's still a lot of shininess in the world, but we're about to get into a slightly darker. One might even say grungier. Period.
0: One might say that. Yes, <laughs> um, it certainly I think becomes a lot more apparent as we get into like ninety three, ninety four. The song is pretty dated, whereas 90, yeah, you sort of get away with it still. But 91, when Smells Like Teen Spirit becomes an anthem and the Black album just becomes the biggest album in the world and grunge and alternative take over, it gets a lot harder to look at this song and see it as, you know, cool and hip or whatever.
1: Well, I mean, that's kind of the arc of WWF in general at that point. 1990, they're still riding pretty high. They just sold out the Sky Dome for WrestleMania. They're still drawing huge numbers by 1994 the formula is completely tired hogan's off to wcw they're struggling to create new stars they're still trying to do the same things with with lex luger and the lex express so i mean the song and it's overlong tenure as a theme kind of is emblematic of where the company itself was at that time they were still hanging on to those lost glories and to that, that idea that was working for them. And they just couldn't figure out how to move away from that yet. What was kind of, what was still kind of interesting in 90 by 94, it's like, okay, we've heard this song over and over and over again. Let's, let's move along now, people.
0: Well, let's uh, move along ourselves here. Uh, We're going to skip ahead a few years now to 1998. Uh, The Attitude Era is, of course, in full swing. And this year, the tagline of the show is Highway to Hell. And, uh, hmm, I wonder what song they're going to pick for this show. The Mind Boggles. Uh, (laughs) Gotta be a
1: Pat Boone song.
0: (laughs) A little Burl Ives, perhaps. Um, No, of course, they go with Vince McMahon's favorite band, ACDC, off the album Highway to Hell. This is Highway to Hell. it's funny i don't think i've ever heard this song before like it must be a real deep cut or something like that um oh no wait a minute i've heard this song like eight billion times over the course of my life (laughs) (laughs) um now don't get me wrong i love acdc i like this song too but it's just i've heard it so many times over the years
1: sean it was perfect though for 1998 if, even though by that point it was already an overplayed classic rock standard, God bless ACDC, they're essentially just like if a giant penis learned how to play guitar. <laughs> and that's WWF 1998, Austin the Undertaker. Just, it's just so teenage boy centric and right in my, at that time, wheelhouse in life. <laughs>
0: It's an incredibly prophetic song in so many ways. Not just for the late, great Bond Scott, of course, but, you know, the song is about the rock and roll lifestyle and, and debauchery and enjoying every second of it. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down, party time. My friends are going to be there too, yeah, I'm on the highway to hell." It's very much a laissez-faire, we're going to be so crazy and so excessive and just have a wild good time and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that's the Attitude Era, you know, I mean, nothing says debauchery and excessive and let's go nuts like that era, with their middle fingers and the boobs and the suckets and whatnot. So it's a very appropriate song choice for this pay-per-view. Not just because it's, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. There are the demonic connotations as well, but it's the time period. It's the road that the company was going down, the highway to hell. Um, And it's also summer, so it's hot as hell. So it all comes together in many different ways, Sean.
1: I, I would just love to know if the theme song was chosen before or after the main event was planned. Because it's the perfect song for those two heading towards their their, their main event fight at, at SummerSlam 98. I mean, that's everyone remembers the Rock Steve Austin My Way promo that was leading up to WrestleMania uh, X7, I believe it was. But this was just as perfect a pairing and a song for that main event feud. Like you said, it's got the it's got the taker connotation of hell and the Undertaker and blah blah blah, but it was just so loud and boisterous back in 1998, but it hadn't quite gone completely cartoony the way that it did sort of in the next couple of years as as Russoism and everything really got there. It still had a core edge to it. It was still a violent, I mean, you mentioned ECW, this was probably the period when they were closest to that ECW ethos with with Austin and Taker, just really violent fighting. It wasn't about a Ministry of Darkness taking over the world or anything. It was just violent, two angry guys who wanna beat the crap out of each other. And they wanna do it loud and they're gonna swing chairs and there's gonna be blood and spit and sweat and beer. Good old days. <laughs>
0: um, and a fun fact about this song, actually, this is only the third time that a WWE pay-per-view had a song by a prominent outside artist, because the first one was Mania 1 with Easy Lover. Uh, the second one what? hey, it was the 80s, man. It was the 80s. Come on. Um, the second one was Mania 3 with Who's Zoom and Who. And now 11 years later, it's Highway to Hell. And then the fourth wouldn't happen until Armageddon 2000 with Sweet Home Alabama. So, you know, licensing a popular song for a pay-per-view, it really wasn't a regular thing at all until the 2000s came around. So getting an AC/DC song for this SummerSlam was a pretty big deal. And it did make the show stand out. You know, this wasn't some random production song or a Jim Johnston original. This is, you know, AC fucking DC. This is a massive song. And... I'm sure Vince was happy about it, too, because he loves ACDC, like I said. So the show feels like a big deal, and Vince gets a nice big boner out of it. So, you know, it's a win-win all around.
1: It also is important because this really is around when it felt like WWF had climbed back up to the top, was equal again to WCW. And it's, okay, we could afford to throw enough money out to get this big huge song that everybody knows because like you said wwf wasn't using any licensed music at that point whereas wcw you'd hear voodoo child every time that hogan came down to the ring and they would they could flaunt the fact that we had money to spend for all of this mainstream these mainstream pieces of media whereas wwf was doing its own thing and could and had to rely on its own in-house abilities But this, this feud, this card, this song, everything about it contributed to the idea that, okay, we're back now. We've had our down period. We had the post-Bret Hart Montreal screw job, sort of where's our company going? Now we're, we're kicking it on all cylinders again. And we've got this balls to the wall, badass song that we had to drop some coin for because we can, because people are watching Steve Austin kick ass now. So it it really contributed to the idea that this is, this is something bigger now. This isn't just Jim Johnston noodling around on a guitar. This is a montage set to big boys doing big boy things that you're going to watch.
0: And it was also used, I should say, uh, by the Dudley Boys and Spike Dudley in ECW, which is another very appropriate setting and very appropriate wrestlers to have this because the Dudleys love to cause all sorts of, you know, mayhem and madness, and uh, Spike Dudley loved to, you know, almost die on a nightly basis, so <laughs> it worked out so well for them.
1: <laughs> Spike was on the highway to hell pretty much every day. Yeah,
0: <laughs> a nice awesome bomb through a table for you, buddy.
1: <laughs> Here's your 50 bucks. Found <laughs> <laughs> kind a of post-dated check from Paul.
0: <laughs> Moving on now to 2001, and uh, things are a bit tumultuous in the WWF at that point because of a little thing called The Invasion. WCW and ECW have invaded the company, and they're led by stalwarts of those companies like um, Shane McMahon and uh, Stephanie McMahon. Jesus Christ, what a bomb. Well, anyway, it's SummerSlam 2001, and the theme for this show is by Drowning Pool off the album Sinner. Uh, This is the big hit the one that 50,000 wrestling music videos were set to. This is Bodies. Let Let the bodies hit the floor. 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 SMR song ever. Okay, I'm letting the bodies hit the floor. The floor is made of nice crinkly paper, and I'm slowly pouring a nice tall glass of water right into the microphone floor. This
1: this this song is essentially the uh, the meme where someone would send you the video of the nice quiet babbling brook, and then suddenly the uh, demon face with a scream pops up. (laughs)
0: Spot the difference. (laughs) It's
1: a Rickroll in
0: hell. I mentioned how WWE at times were able to find the right music to reflect current trends. New metal in the early 2000s might be the best example of that because they played the ever loving shit at a new metal during this time period. And you know what? Why not? At this time, it's so popular. You know, Limp Bizkit, Stained, Creed, Saliva, POD. Disturbed, and of course Drowning Pool, and Bodies in particular is one of the quintessential dude bro new metal songs of this era. You know, it's this, Down With The Sickness, uh, Nookie, and going into that, you know, this is the amount of experience in a mosh pit. Let the Bodies Hit The Floor describes a crazy mosh pit. You know, the lyrics, of course, Beaten, Y4, Can't Take Much More, Now Push Me Again, This Is The End skin against skin, blood and bone, you're all by yourself, but you're not alone. So it's about this wild, aggressive, violent experience, and, you know, technically speaking at this point, the Attitude Era is you know, kinda over, with Austin turning heel, but they're still in like, the afterglow of it, because they still have a lot of edge to them, and a dark greediness to it as well, so Bodies is like the right song for this era, I think,
1: Sean. It also helped teach the, the fans how to count. One, nothing wrong with me. Two, nothing wrong with me. It's, uh, it's the uh, most heavy uh. metal version <laughs> of the Count the Count ever. <laughs> it's, it's awkward with this song because, I mean, we talk about the zeitgeist and being with the times. And, of course, this had the absolute unfortunate timing to be just about two weeks before the uh, 9-11 tragedy at which point a song about bodies hitting the floor ceases to feel at all appropriate or worth listening to. But yeah, this, this is the tail end of the attitude era. This is, I think you can I think if you're going to be a wrestling historian, you can mark the end of the attitude era as the uh, survivor series at the end of the year when the, when the Alliance loses and WW, WCW ECW dies and, asses kiss my ass clubs are formed but yeah this this has that feel it's reached the point where and i'm gonna sound like an old grump here most likely but most new metal just sounded like teenage kids in the suburbs whining and complaining because their allowance isn't high enough so to me that's where this really fits at this point it's the company all the the, the teenagers who are watching the WWF, Jerry Springer, they've all, some of them have started to move on, and the ones who are left are still sitting at home and wearing black t shirts and being unhappy about things. And the WWF's about to go through that same absolute destruction of popularity and ratings. Right now, we're in the period where their ratings are just about to begin to crumble and the pay-per-view buys are just about to begin to sink severely after wrestlemania x7 and the austin heel turn so the fact that we're now to a song that's just yelling and screaming about the bodies and (laughs) what's wrong with me it's got a very self-pitying vibe to it that one can almost imagine in the the WWF corporate offices. What's wrong with us? Why don't people like us as much today?
0: And as far as like a SummerSlam theme song goes, it it doesn't really feel summery, does it? Like the whole idea of SummerSlam nowadays is biggest party of the summer with, you know, nice bright blues and oranges and whatever. This is, you know, it's the middle of the invasion. It's 2001. So a lot of it is steel and gray and black. And it's focusing more on, like, the conflict of the invasion and the seriousness of that, as opposed to big summer spectacle and sunshine and beaches and parties that we used to see back in the 80s and early 90s and what we see nowadays. But this is, you know, like I said, in the aggressive, you know, dude bro era of these shows, Sean.
1: This party is 30 dudes in black t-shirts standing around a pool drinking stolen Zimas. (laughs) It's the worst party of the year there's two guys who have a half inflated football and they toss it around and then everyone else says what are you trying to be a jock and then they all just sit back down and listen to more Limp Biscuit. you watched
0: BattleBots last night yeah it was pretty fucking cool <laughs> dude I heard the Lord of the Rings movies will be sick
1: <laughs> dude Creed is stupid they like Jesus <laughs> man relax I don't know what kids were like in two thousands. I was I was honestly way too drunk to remember much of that year. <laughs> well here's the thing though. We talk
0: about this being of the era, two thousand and one. This got a lot of mileage. I mean this was not just the theme for SummerSlam, but it was the theme for the Alliance. It was the theme for the two ECW one night stand shows in O five and oh six. It was the first WWECW TV theme. Uh, They used it for December to Dismember as well. So WWE rode this bad boy until the wheels fell off. You know, they they got five whole years out of this song. So they got their
1: money's worth at least. I'm sure there's probably someone now who's like, we should use that again. (laughs) Because it really is the quintessential WWF trying to be hardcore and cool song that really doesn't quite get there. And, and it's perfect that it was used for all of the ECW rebirth and rebrand stuff, because if there's anything that's a better metaphor for WWS relaunch of ECW and not getting it at all, but trying to ape the, the sound and the look and the feel, it's using New Metal in place of Early mid '90s grunge alt rock. It, it's it's kind of amazingly on point for them. This sounds loud and has guitars. It's just it's just like it. I mean this 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 is essentially the the putting gulp the putting game that uh, Bart Simpson gets for Christmas. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> drowning pools putting challenge. <laughs> <laughs> You have chosen a three-wood. May I suggest
1: bodies? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's a montage somewhere on YouTube of people hitting chip shots to this song? (laughs) I should make it. Why not, right? (laughs) I I will like it, and I will create five fake accounts just to like it even more.
0: We go now from 2001 to 2002, uh, which... In a lot of people's minds, SummerSlam 02 is considered to be the best SummerSlam ever. And uh, I agree. You know, we got Rock vs. Brock, the Triple H HBK Unsanctioned match, Angle vs. Mysterio in the opener, RVD vs. Benoit, Edge vs. Eddie Guerrero. It's a, a great show from top to bottom. And uh, the theme song for it uh, is by Jim Johnston, featuring Amon Cronin on lead vocals. This is off of the album WWE Anthology Now. It's simply called fight.
2: I, I know your every move, I've heard your every word, I know you well, and I've got nothing left. Your threats I find absurd I am your hell Every time
0: So, Highway to Hell is the first time that a pop song was used as a SummerSlam theme. This is the opposite, actually. This is the last time that a Jim Johnston song was used as a SummerSlam theme. And I think like many Jim Johnston pay-per-view themes, with the exception of, you know, maybe Deadly Games or No Chance in Hell, this is lost to time. Um, Not for me, though, because I've had it in my iTunes for like 10 years or whatever. Um, And you know, I gotta be honest here. I dig this song quite a bit. Because I'm a total sucker for power chords and emphatic vocals and cheesy, ruthless aggression-era lyrics. So, you know what, Sean? Hey, I like it. I can't help it.
1: I was surprised by how not bad, and also by how much this felt like a piece that fits the time when I listened to this. Because it had been completely lost to time in my case, even though, like you... SummerSlam 2 is one of my all-time favorite cards. I think it's definitely the best of the SummerSlam cards. The buildup for Brock versus Brock is one of my favorite builds in company history, the way they set everything up and the montages and the training videos. I, I think they could learn a lot if they went back to that and kind of tried to bring that feel back for, for some of their bigger feuds. It really was a It's 2002. We we're a year past 9/11. We're at war in the world, and this song really has a feel like it's a very brooding, lone gunslinger almost sort of vibe to it. That they're fighting, they're blood. Someone who's fighting, someone who's bloodied, someone who's in the middle of a struggle and not and refusing to go down. It's not bombastic, and it's not that sort of self that sort of introspective feel like I'm what's wrong with me instead this is every time you think I'm done I come back stronger I will put you in the ground it it's a little more nuanced uh, version of the uh, Toby Keith uh, put a boot in your ass song in some way (laughs) but it it doesn't have that feel of It doesn't have a feel of aggression outward so much as trying to rally inward strength, which is so perfect for that card when you look at those top two matches. Well, I'd say
0: it's right in Jim Johnston's Wheelhouse, because it's a rock song, obviously, so he can play his guitars. And lyrically, you know, as you saw on the Divas episode a while back, and other episodes as well, Jim's not really that adept at writing, like, rap lyrics or songs from a feminine perspective. But... If you need a rock song about guys just fighting each other and finding the strength to win, there's like, you know, clashing moods where the verses are a bit more low key. but Then it builds up into this big crescendo in the chorus. Like, that's where he excels. And I fall for it every time, you know, with, uh, I will fight till there's nothing left till my legs are gone. You won't forget me. I'm like, ooh, that gets me. And then when it gets to the, every time you think that I'm done, I'll come back stronger. It's like, ah, I'm so pumped up, baby. And it just, it hits that cheesy emotional chord inside of me. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good song that gets forgotten about because it's not a pop song. And also maybe gets overshadowed by the card. And it's, I mean,
1: first off, my God, does that not fit the uh, the Michaels, the Shawn Michaels arc coming into this match? everything about that song it's almost as if i feel like this that match had to have at least had some bearing on writing the lyrics for this because it's it literally tells the entire story of michael's return in these lyrics but i think it also gets lost because 2002 is such a weird inflection point for the company austin's gone this is really kind of the last hurrah of the rock on top for, for many, for a lot of reasons. Lesnar's coming into his own. We're not yet into the John Cena era, which would go on for decades and decades and decades. So, I mean, this, this whole era of the company, it's kind of the, oh, there were things that happened after the Attitude Era ended. We don't, we don't remember that. There was John, there was, there was Nitro and Raw and then John Cena appeared. and that's been all that we remember from everything from 2000 to 2016. So yeah, it it gets lost because there's not a convenient story to tell about the company itself at that point in time. It's just this great card full of amazing matches and really good stories that in the end, other than the return of other than the movement of Lesnar to the top really didn't lead to, much of anything going forward it brought michaels back but michaels and triple h have been in orbit with each other for their entire careers and would be forever so you can't really say that it did much to change that it was really just kind of there like all of wwf at that time but it was really fun and it was good and it was better than you expect it to be when you go back and look at it I want
0: to bring up the vocals. Uh, the guy who did them, Eamon Cronin, uh, he's the lead singer of a Doors cover band called Riders on the Storm. And you can definitely hear that, you know, in his voice that Jim Morrison drawl to him. Um, and he did also do another pay-per-view theme with Jim Johnston that is probably more well-known than this one, uh, which is The End. The end is here. The game is over. That's him. That's Eamon Cronin. And uh, he's a good singer for sure. Um, it's just that, you know, with Fight, it's not like the most doors song in the world. You know, it's not like, you know, The End, or they're clearly going for The End, but The Doors. Uh, it's more of like a standard hard rock song than The Doors would ever do, Sean.
1: Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think this is more interesting than that for him, because it's not just a Jim Morrison sound-alike att- attempt. It, it, it actually sounds like a unique and... Original song instead of the end, which for years when I wasn't paying attention, I thought really just was the Doors song being used for this. It was it was definitely a many pay-per-views later, and I was like, oh, this isn't actually the Doors, which made me happy because I don't really like the Doors very much. I think they're overrated. Well, to each their own, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: anyway, we'll stay in the general era here. Uh, ruthless aggression, the era of my youth. And look at the theme of SummerSlam 2004, which, as I mentioned earlier, was my first SummerSlam, which uh, featured one of my all-time favorite bands ever, Rush. Uh, Rest in peace, Neil Peart, by the way. Uh, Rush, in 2004, put out an EP called Feedback, which was a covers EP uh, that featured covers of songs by bands that the members of Rush listened to growing up, like The Who, The Yardbirds, Cream, Buffalo Springfield. And the first song on the EP is a cover of a song called Summertime Blues, which has also been done by The Who, uh, The Beach Boys, T Rex, Alan Jackson, and a host of others. But Rush decided to base their cover of the song around the version done by the band called Blue Cheer. So let's hear Rush's version of Summertime Blues. <laughs> So I actually owe a big thank you to SummerSlam 04 because even though I didn't like the show all that much, it having this song as its theme was my introduction to Rush. I heard the song and I thought, this is really good, I want to hear more of this. And the rest, as they say, is nerdy prog rock bullshit history <laughs> which is a bit funny because you know this is a a cover, and B, you know, it's one of the simpler Rush songs that you'll hear in terms of the music and the lyrics. Like This is not, you know, La Via Strangiato, or 2112, or Cygnus X1, but I still think it's great. You know, I think Rush do a very good job with it, uh, especially since they do the Blue Cheer version, where each guy does a solo before the chorus. You know, Alex does a little distorted guitar, uh, Geddy does the bass, and Neil, of course, is on the drums, which I think is pretty cool. So, on the list here today, um, honestly, this is probably one of my favorites, because, you know, it's Rush, I gotta give it to them, but um, also, I think it's just in general a really simple, strong cover song.
1: I'm sorry, I was too busy hanging out with chicks and driving my sports car around, growing oh, up in the rush. You son of a bitch! You son of a bitch! I I think it's hilarious that just this is as far away from trying to be modern and hip and with it as the company could possibly get. It's a <laughs> It's a a 30 at that year old, 30 years at that point old band covering a 50-year-old song, essentially. At that point, you... And it's funny that they do that because this is really where youth begins to get served. This is the transition into Randy Orton's time at at the top and the the youth movement as it is in WWF, WWE at this point. I'm sorry. Yet, they go so in the well. I, I'm glad that they got the theme. I mean, it definitely is much more on point for SummerSlam than the last few were. But I just can't imagine the meeting where they said, what do the kids want to hear? They want to hear Rush doing cover songs of uh, of old school rock and roll. That's our song.
0: Yeah, it's certainly not the coolest song in the world, I don't think. Uh, and yeah, Rush and cool never really go together to begin with, Um, but I think it's still a very relevant song to this day. Like, it's about this young guy struggling with the summertime blues. He's working a job to earn some money, but his boss sucks. That's relatable. His parents won't give him any freedom. That's relatable. He tries to go to Congress to get some help there, but the politician blows him off. That's relatable. So, there's just a sense of, like, overriding futility that, you know, nowadays in 2020 is just... It's pretty much everywhere. You know, it, it seeped into everything, everything sucks, you can't fix it, and shit is just collapsing, and there's just there's no cure for the summertime blues. And I think what's going on today in WWE, that's also very true. Everything sucks, it's collapsing, and you can't seem to fix it. So you know what? Fuck it. My my
1: god, it it's 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 proto new metal! <laughs> Everything's shitty. Why isn't anyone helping me? <laughs> Why did the bodies hit the floor cause there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. I think you could be on to I think we could be onto a mashup idea here. this is this is such a weird time for wwe 2004. i I seriously cannot remember without looking at the card anything about this show. whereas the other ones I can remember that like almost instantly boom 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 but 2004 show I there are people the Eugene Triple H match I've blocked that out of my mind for all eternity I think JBL versus The Undertaker I'll admit I wasn't really watching a whole lot at this point in time and I'm beginning to remember why So I I guess if you're gonna have a song that's so unhip, because God bless them, love or hate Rush, no one's ever put the song the word hip with anything they've ever done, and I'm pretty sure that every Rush fan would agree with that, and they would wear that as a badge of honor. So I suppose this definitely works for this show because. They're just, man, what was happening here? Why would, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just look. I I looked at every other card in preparation for this, but I never got to look at this one. And the Till Death Do Us Part match, oh my God. Is, is this when Gene Snitsky appeared around? But
0: listen, it's a real dark time, you know? <laughs> we got Kane marrying Lita because Kane got Lita pregnant you got Eugene, you got JBL as champion for, uh, what, 10 months or whatever. Diva Dodgeball, Triple H has got like seven world title reigns in like three years or whatever. Shit's pretty dark.
1: <laughs> now it definitely makes sense. You, you, the time is a flat circle and everything became meaningless and stretched on forever and never in this period. So, sure, 30 year old band, 50 year old song, 2004 cover. Let's go with it. I love doing these shows because it makes me look back at these cards that I half remembered and half watched and think, wow, things have been bad for a lot longer than I remembered.
0: (laughs) Well, there is something that I do remember fondly about the pay-per-view, which were the commercials for it, because it was the Summer Olympics that year. So the commercials were all based around that. So you had like Triple H show up at the hammer throw with the sledgehammer. (laughs) And doing his his water spit and extinguishing the Olympic flame. Um, You had one with uh, Tajiri playing table tennis. And he missed the other guy in the face. Um, My favorite one, though, was, of course, uh, Eddie Guerrero doing the 100-meter dash. And he super glues the other runner's feet to the starting blocks, and he's jogging down the track and doing the the Latino heat shoulder shimmy. It was pretty funny stuff.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to go back and watch those. Now. Yeah, watch the Eddie one at least. That will those 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 sound wonderful. It's so rare when WWF WW gets humor right, <laughs> but when they do, they they do hit it out of the park. Let's get out of Ruthless Aggression
0: and uh, make a big jump forward to 2011 where we've got Hall of Pain, Mark Henry, and the Reign Orton Christian feud, and uh, oh yeah, Kevin Nash powerbombing CM Punk. Just good times all around, Sean. (laughs) Uh, The 2011 SummerSlam theme is by CeeLo Green off his album The Lady Killer. This is Bright Lights, Bigger City. a song that isn't rock or metal so uh, for all of you out there who were sick of that stuff I apologize for the wait but I think it was worth it because I think this song is, is pretty damn good you know, it's very catchy and very fun and it's got a great bass line to it and CeeLo's vocals are on point and it's just a nice change of pace from the big and guitars and the aggressive vocals and the debauchery and mayhem and, and the fighting it's just a very nice fun time let's go out into the nice bright lights in big city and have a good night in the town with good fun soulful r&b music and really if you're gonna focus the marketing of SummerSlam and the tone of the event as the biggest party of the summer it's a real fun time which is what they're doing at this point then this is absolutely the music that you go for here not angry dude bro new metal not rush it's this sean this was
1: a breath of fresh air i was I actually got happy when I heard this because it finally was updating that formula from in a lot of ways the very first SummerSlam theme. That bouncy, happy, summery vibe. But it's modernized. It's hip hop. It's you have a lot of sample sounds in there. When you hear you hear the sirens, it's not just okay, what it's not just musical instruments. It's a much more twenty first century new new decade sound where you're pulling in the influences that are going on it's the closest thing to what people were actually listening to outside of wrestling fans that they'd had in forever and it has it hits that party vibe it's cocktails and conversation music and making love. it's finally fun it's a the show wasn't fun <laughs> for I, I, I just listened to, uh, to uh, Rich Krejci's Boys of Summer episode about this, this Summer Slam and listening to his despair and anger as he was going through it reminded me of my own feelings at that time. But the lead up is fun. The music is fun. And for the first time, it feels like you're watching a brightly colored pro wrestling show after 15 years of shades of black and gray and gunmetal color.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, quite quite frankly, uh, quite frankly uh, <laughs> if you're going for a, a party atmosphere, you need a song that you can dance to, at least, you know, and a song that will have a, a broader appeal to all sorts of ages and demographics. And this will do the trick. You know, it's a very palatable, appealing song. And lyrically, of course, it works so well, too, because it's about you know going out and having a good time but again it talks about it in a very safe way the bright lights big city i've been living for the weekend but no not anymore because here comes that familiar feeling that friday's famous for yeah i'm looking for some action and it's out there somewhere you can feel the electricity all in the evening air i'm alive this evening it was love at first sight everyone's standing in line yeah looking good I'm looking for a real good time. So it romanticizes the nightlife and the big city and working hard for the weekend to finally enjoy yourself and all that jazz. But it never crosses the line into, like, hedonistic, you know? So it's, it's basically, like, the classier, more upscale version of Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell is shredding guitars and total craziness, no stop signs, no speed limit, we're gonna party till we're all fucking dead. This song, hey man, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. We're enjoying the weekend. We're keeping it classy. People are looking good and dressing fine. Cocktails, conversation, making love. So in one sense, they are two, quote unquote, party songs. But their definitions of party are are vastly different, Sean.
1: Well, I mean, if you're going to have a James Bond sample, you got to be classy. You're talking martinis here. You're not talking like beer bottles that you then break over each other's heads to, to get the party really rolling. You're getting something that's shaken and not stirred. I everyone's looking good. Everyone's looking for a real good time. This is this is chill. This is fun time. And then we don't however we did not get something brand new happening unless you consider Kevin Nash appearing to be yeah. something brand new.
0: <laughs> it's the same Kevin Nash as before. He's old and can't move well, but he's got a new haircut. <laughs> <laughs>
1: At least cell phones were involved. Back in the 90s, it would have been he got a fax telling him to stick the winner. (laughs) So I suppose that's modernized. But no, seriously, this is surprisingly, and and this trend is going to continue with our next one, this is surprisingly with it and not something that you think, oh yeah, it's appealing to the eternally stunted wrestling fan. So kudos for a change. They really did bring that Summary vibe back and it's fitting that this is one of the last ones that they had in la because it sounds very la it's very much you can imagine someone cruising down the sunset strip with this
0: yeah this is very much the direction that they're going to go with here for SummerSlam. slam um, a lot less rock and metal a lot more hip-hop and r&b and electro pop like you know florida clinton sparks wale fort minor machine gun kelly And uh, the next song we'll get to on the list here. But um, they'll still have plenty of rock and metal for other pay-per-views, of course. Um, But for the most part, when it comes to SummerSlam and uh, WrestleMania as well, they tend to stick to uh, the party anthems. So the final theme of the episode here is from 2015, uh, five years ago already. Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I think it's time, Sean, that we added a female presence to the proceedings. So let's play some Demi Lovato. And uh, Demi's song that was the theme for this show is off her album, Confident. It's called Cool for the Summer. So, similar to the CeeLo Green song, uh, this is a very catchy anthemic pop song. Uh, not as soulful or RB as CeeLo's song is, of course, but uh, still, it's a very, you know, dancey electropop party song that has a very powerful hook and, and it's very, very catchy. Um, here's why this song caught my attention and why I put it on the episode um, Cool for the Summer. It's a poppy tune, a radio hit. Uh, summer in the title, so. It makes sense then why you would have this as, you know, a theme for SummerSlam. Lyrically, though, if you take a second or two to peruse the words, (laughs) it's a rather interesting subject matter, because it's basically about some lesbian experimentation, which, for a wrestling pay-per-view theme, is quite the topic, Sean.
1: (laughs) It's it's not PG, really. (laughs) It's a... It's surprising that... And I mean, this, it's kind of surprising in general how that song got around. I mean, when, when SummerSlam occurred with this song, this song was still in the top 20 on the Billboard charts. So if we want to talk about getting the zeitgeist for once, they they were there. This song was still a hit being played all the time on the radio when SummerSlam 2015 hit. So we, we, we definitely can't say that they were behind on this, but yeah. You, I remember, and they didn't even try to hide it, which was why it was kind of funny that WWF WWE, God, was so willing to embrace it because this really was still in that period where they were very strongly PG in most of their segments. I mean, we're not too far away from JBL as poopy here. But yes, really surprising lyrics, but also incredibly appropriate for the moment in the company because this SummerSlam is this theme I mean it's a theme that's definitely about the song is about a woman taking control of her life of her surround of her actions she's going to do what she wants even if that's something that like you said people would be touchy about there, She's not going to hide it. She's having fun this summer, and that includes doing whatever she wants. And only about six weeks before this SummerSlam, the first introduction of the NXT Horsewomen occurs in WWE. And for everything that's gone on in the last five years, all the changes, all of the ups, the downs, the bad booking ideas, this is a major sea change for the company it's the beginning of an extended period where women's wrestling becomes if not an equal part of the show a part of the show that's seen as being able to carry segments shows pay-per-views eventually the main event of wrestlemania and that entire sequence is kicking off just before this summer slam and for the first time they're using a a woman-centered very feminist pop song by a singer who has made no bones about claiming her own feminist powers and her own feminist identity so for the same company that only a few years back was still doing bra and panties matches and gravy bowl matches this is this is an important moment in a lot of ways. I see what you're saying. I do.
0: It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm still taken aback a ways that a song with such. Like, it's not graphic, but there's such obvious innuendo here that I'm so amazed that it got picked for a pay per view theme. Like, tell me what you want, what you like, it's okay. I'm a little curious too. Tell me if it's wrong, if it's right, I don't care. I can keep a secret, can you? Got my mind on your body. And your body on my mind, got a taste for the cherry, I just need to take a bite. Don't tell your mother, kiss one another, die for each other, we're cool for the summer. take me down into your paradise. Don't be scared cause I'm your body type, just something that we want to try cause you and I were cool for the summer. I mean, it's right there, you know the innuendo is so blatant, uh, cherry. Take me down into your paradise.
1: It's not even Uh, innuendo at that point. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it gets me thinking, like, the people at WWE who who picked the songs for the shows, they had to know what this was about, right? I mean, how could you not?
1: I think the entire country as a whole made a pact that they were only going to pay attention to the uh, chorus for this song.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's got to be it. You know, I guess it's one of those things where the music and the catchiness of the hook are, are so good that they kind of blind you to the actual lyrics of the song. Um, You know, like the presentation takes focus over the actual content.
1: At this point, at that point in time, we're also seeing the beginning of where maybe that's not, maybe that's not a bug. That's a feature. I mean, we're, we're only five years removed from that. And what's the, uh, what's the biggest song in the country right now? A a little ditty called WAP. (laughs) And I, I, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of kids singing along to that song who, May or may not know what it's about, but <laughs> the, the idea that, I mean, this is really where the boundaries get start to get pushed even harder in pop music to the point where, like I said, now, a couple of years later, there's absolutely no sense that you need to disguise, particularly for a female singer. And that's another another reason why I say it's such an important point. Men have been singing about sex in the most explicit terms forever but the idea of women owning their own bodies their own experience is something that even in 2015 you still kind of slightly feel like you have to couch it if you're going to make a hit song out of it but not that much the the couching is real the the hiding it is really minimal and almost more for sarcastic effect i think in some ways than for actually trying to lessen the impact of the message.
0: I just think of a song like Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind, which is about crystal meth, by the way. Uh, but people don't realize that because they just focus on the do-do-do, do-do-do-do, do-do-do, or Every Breath You Take by The Police, which, you know, people think, oh, it's a nice love song. It's about a stalker. So what you have here is a song that is about a lesbian fling, But because it's so catchy and so poppy and so fun, all of a sudden it's the theme for Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. You know, it's like (laughs) we're on the verge of a women's revolution for sure and so forth. But the whole scenario of like, you know, a song about a lesbian fling being a wrestling pay-per-view theme, it's a bit, you know, ridiculous to me, Sean.
1: (laughs) Well, what do you expect out of WWE? Ridiculousness is pretty much their stock in trade. <laughs> true, true. And I, I, all I can think of when we talk about that sort of explicitness in lyrics is twelve-year-old me singing along to "A Cherry Pie" by Warrant. <laughs> like, la la, she's my cherry pie. That's tasty sounding. What does that mean? Oh, nothing, nothing. Just means she's very tasty and sweet. <laughs> Little tart, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <sighs> I was a slow learner. I'd like
0: to think that when you were older and The Rock was doing his pie shtick, you still didn't know what it was. <laughs> and he had the same voice too. Like, you're 18 years old. Daddy, what does pie mean?
1: <laughs> I remember when I was 27 and finally went through puberty. It was a, it was a major, <laughs> major change. <laughs> oh, son, it just means that he likes a cheat meal every now and then. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd lose those abs. <laughs>
0: All right, well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, Sean, thank you so much for being here again. It's always a blast whenever you're on, and uh, this was no different.
1: Always, always happy to come on. Hopefully, we can do it again soon.
0: Of course, of course. Um, any plugs you want to give, go right ahead.
1: I have absolutely nothing. I'm a hermit who never sees the light of day anymore. <laughs> go, go. Just enjoy Voices of Wrestling, and you can, you can. If you ever get bored, you can search for my name on the website and see the writing reviews that used to drive me insane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesofWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at music of the Musicofthemat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Uh, discuss this episode and past episodes at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesofWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show... You can do that. Just go to voicesofwrestling.com slash donate and click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're the best. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Sean, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you. Take care. All right, for Sean Flynn, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys.